Hi, I'm Michelle Shepard, host of Uncover Charmini from CBC Podcasts. In 1999, 15-year-old Charmini Anandavel disappeared on her way to a job that police believed didn't exist. Four months later, her remains were found in a wooded ravine. I revisit the case that has stayed with me for over 20 years, ever since I first covered it as a cub crime reporter for the Toronto Star. You can find Uncover Charmini on CBC Listen or on your favourite podcast app. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to The Dose. COVID-19 has hit home here in Canada in the most painful way possible. Over the past two weeks, COVID-19 has killed seniors in long-term care homes in several provinces. People in the small town of Bob Cajun, Ontario, are grieving the deaths of more than a dozen seniors at a single nursing home in just the last few days. There are many more seniors who have died in hospital. Fatal illness isn't the only way COVID-19 is threatening seniors. Many are dealing with crushing feelings of isolation and fear as they stay home, unable to see the people they love while trying to protect them from infection. And seniors need groceries, medicine, and other essentials. So today on The Dose, we're tackling the question, how can I help the senior in my life get through COVID-19? Joining me today to help us answer this is Dr. Samir Sinha. He's the Director of Geriatrics at Sinai Health and University Health Network in Toronto and a vocal advocate for seniors' health and well-being. He's also a colleague of mine in my other life as an emergency physician at Sinai Health. Hi, Samir. Welcome to The Dose. Hi, Brian. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to have you, too. I feel like the tragic deaths of seniors we've seen this week may serve as a wake-up call for anyone who hasn't fully grasped just how serious this outbreak really is. Do you get that sense? I do. I think there's been um, a little bit of, you know, we, we see this happening in other countries. We see how bad it is, but we're really confident in our healthcare system in Canada. And we hope that just by being a bit annoyed with the social distancing, it won't really have the effects. But now we're actually seeing what many of us in the hospitals knew would eventually start happening. People would start dying. And unfortunately, many of them are going to be older people. For the people who haven't been paying as much attention as you and I, why are seniors so vulnerable overall to COVID-19? Generally, um, COVID-19 likes to prey on people whose immune systems are weaker, but also people who have multiple chronic conditions. And so that really kind of coalesces in the older population. So this is where we're seeing rates of infection or rates of death as high as 33% uh, amongst older adults who are, are getting these, especially in nursing homes. Are seniors even more at risk if they live in a long-term care home? Yeah, what we're seeing overall is that uh, we have this term called the case fatality ratio. So it says that if you get this infection, how risky um, is COVID going to be for you? And overall, we quote about 1% to 2% in the general population. But as you start reaching your 60s, your 70s, your 80s, and so on, we see that number climb to 3 8 15% or higher. But in nursing homes where people are living with dementia, where people are living with multiple chronic health conditions and are generally older, we're seeing case fatality rates upwards of 20 or 30%. And that's why, as you alluded to at the beginning, uh, what we've seen in Bob Cajun is just the start of, unfortunately, what I predict to be more deaths in that nursing home as everybody will get infected. Uh, how much does that have to do with the fact that seniors are living in a more confined environment? There's a lot of factors. So those who are living in nursing homes, they tend to require care. And that means that 
a care worker who will be caring for you will also be caring for somebody else. You're also living close together. Uh, the Bob Cajun nursing home is one of our older types of nursing homes where you might have up to four people living in the shared room together. Um, and so this idea of social distancing and other things that we ought to be trying to do, it's much more difficult in these older facilities where people are receiving care from multiple people and there are multiple visitors during the day. So all of this culminates into why uh, we're trying to do our best to keep COVID out of a nursing home in the first place, because when it gets in, it can spread quickly and it can also, um, it can spread to the broader community as well. Prior to COVID-19, we've seen lots of outbreaks from time to time uh, of other kinds of illnesses in long-term care homes, the flu, C. difficile, and other outbreaks come to mind. What makes COVID-19 especially worrisome when you compare it to some of those other more common outbreaks that we've seen in the past? Well, let's take the flu, for example, because even some of the early approaches we were seeing in Ontario and other jurisdictions were to treat it like a flu outbreak. So, But the challenge is, is that here are the two things that we don't have with COVID-19. We don't have a vaccine. Um, we don't have effective treatments. Uh, and so when there's a flu outbreak, if one or two people in a home um, gets you know, the flu, for example, we can immediately take everybody else and give them a medication called Tamiflu that can help uh, protect them from getting the flu in the first place. We're also making sure that most people are getting their, their vaccinations in the first place, which is also a way to help prevent people from catching um, uh, or, or, or letting the flu spread around. The problem with COVID-19 is we don't have treatments, we don't have a vaccination, um, and it's very contagious. So once it gets in, it can spread around quickly um, and it can kill. We're talking about seniors living in long-term care facilities. There are also retirement homes. And, and I'm going to ask this question because I think a lot of people listening to this podcast will be thinking retirement home, long-term care facility, they're the same. They aren't the same. There is an increased risk at retirement homes, but can you make a, you know, a bit of a comparison between the two? Yeah. So uh, retirement homes tend to have a younger uh, slightly healthier population um, compared to, say, what you would see in a nursing home. But I actually would group them um, in both risky living environments because, again, you tend to have the majority of people living in a retirement home being older adults. That's the number one risk factor, if you will, for getting COVID. Um, and then because you'll have a naturally weaken, more weakened immune system. But also, we know that some retirement homes are providing care for people who could be living in nursing homes as well. So while I would say that there's a lower risk um, uh, represented by that population in a retirement home versus a nursing home, it's still much higher compared to the rest of the population. And that's why governments like the Ontario government and other jurisdictions are treating them as one and the same, um, so that we're making sure that what we're doing for nursing homes is what we do for retirement homes, because it's another group of sitting ducks, in my view, that we have to do our utmost to protect from COVID. So what about seniors living at home? What are the main risks for them? I think for seniors living at home, ironically, right now, I mean, their greatest risk is when people come to visit them. And that might be other family members, for example, but it might also be a home care worker. Because for those who are receiving home care, that care worker might also be providing care to other people. They might be 
providing care to people who are also um, living in a nursing or retirement home, for example. So for older adults who receive care at home, um, this is where there's a particular risk that there could be people entering their home that could be bringing this virus, especially when these are tend to be people uh, in, with respect to care workers who might be caring for other people who are at high risk or might also have the virus as well. And even if they're relatively healthy, seniors may have other non-medical staff coming in, people who help them cook and clean, for instance. How concerned are you about that? Yeah, I'm concerned because this is why um, even the government just came out and said that we should actually be asking all seniors 70 and above to isolate themselves because that's the age group where you start seeing a a fatality rate of about 8%. And then if you're 80 and over 15%. So they're even saying there's so much community spread happening now that really you should isolate yourself in your own home and um, and you really should limit non-essential visitors. So try and make those family visits via Skype if you can. And if that person's coming to cook some meals, you know, a few times a week, maybe have them actually make them and just leave them on your doorstep. This is something that for me is 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 a bit of a shame because this is just another way that we isolate uh, seniors who really thrive on being active members of their community or getting that vital social interaction that comes when someone comes to cook you a meal or to help give you a bath. But this is where we're having to make some of those trade-offs to try and save lives, but at what cost overall? Yeah. So, Samir, as you as you mentioned trade-offs, um, clearly there are some seniors who are living in their own homes who are depending on somebody providing some vital service in their home. Is there any kind of practical advice that can be done to minimize the risk that that person will bring COVID-19 into their homes? Yes, I think it's important that, you know, just because we're trying to say limit uh, visits and so on, these visits can be essential, right? If somebody does need to get dressed every morning, if somebody does need to get that bath, and what some people are doing is they're saying, well, maybe I'm just going to lean on my own family members that I live with to try and provide more of that care to limit my exposures to other adults. But lots of people don't have those luxuries. So what I what I always ask people to do is make sure that when you're working with somebody else, if, if they're a care worker, try and make sure that they're washing their hands. Um, maybe ask if they can wear a mask, for example, when they're working with you. Um, because really, if they have might have the virus and they're asymptomatic, they don't even know that they're yet to have a cough or a fever. This way, if they have the virus by them wearing that mask, they're actually protecting you by not giving you that actual virus itself. So these might be some of the extra precautions I recommend and try and limit non-essential visits depending on, on how you feel about that. Let's get back to the situation in which we have a family member living in a long-term care home right now. What are some specific questions we should be asking the facility uh, about to make sure that they're doing everything possible to protect our loved ones from COVID-19? You know, so one thing to reassure folks is that, you know, that right now in in, in various retirement and, and nursing homes, you know, all of them pretty much have pandemic plans. All of them, you know, make sure that they have staff that are actually trained to use PPE um, and, and, and are trained in infection prevention and control practices. And as you alluded earlier, these homes are not uncommon environments where they have things like flu outbreaks or diarrheal outbreaks. So they're actually not unfamiliar with, with trying to manage situations like this. But questions I would ask to a local home would be, do you have enough PPE? 
you know, do you feel confident in your ability to, to support my loved one right now? Because what I am hearing, unfortunately, is that some of the homes, uh, while you know, they've been given money to buy supplies, they haven't been able to get the supplies that they need. Um, and some homes are worried that they might not be able to get the supplies they need to provide um, adequate care. And so now even the CDC, um, the group that makes the, the um, uh, you know, that provides the evidence and gives direction in the United States around infection control, is even suggesting now that with the spread being what it is and up to 400 no nursing homes now already in the U.S. having outbreaks, they're even suggesting in some cases that if you don't feel confident that that nursing home can provide the care that they need, maybe actually take your mom home. When you mentioned PPE, we're talking about personal protective equipment. Now, you, you mentioned something else that I'm sure a lot of people want to know about. If you're a loved one and you aren't confident that the long-term care facility can maintain proper infection control and, and protection, maybe you have concerns about, about the lack of personal protective equipment, the decision to bring your loved one home, to take them out of the long-term care facility is a very momentous one, isn't it? It's huge. And it's not something that, you know, people can easily do, right? Uh, you know, for a lot of families, and especially the ones that I care for, making a decision to have a loved one enter um, a long-term care home or retirement home is a massive decision. And it's often a guilt-ridden one because a lot of us would love to be able to care for our, our parents or our aunts and uncles in our own homes, but we might not just have the space. Uh, we might just not have the person power of, you know, the availability of ourselves as unpaid caregivers to provide that care and support. So what we've been hearing increasingly about um, some families who've made the tough decision to say, we're going to bring mom out of that home and we're going to bring her to live with us. It's not going to be ideal. It's not going to be great. But we're so afraid of her getting um, COVID-19 that this is what we're going to do. My advice is always start with the conversation. Talk to the home that your loved one is being cared for by. Ask them how they're doing. Ask them what sort of help they could receive or, and what you could do to provide supports for your loved ones. But if you're if you're faced with those difficult decisions that should my mom go into a home or can my mom come out of that home, those are the ones that you want to have with the staff at the care home first before you make any decisions. Despite all the precautions that we take, the sad reality is that some seniors will die. Uh, is this a time when people should be talking to their family members about their end of life wishes, such as whether they would want to be intubated, placed on a ventilator? Uh, should they have to go to the intensive care unit with COVID-19? I think so. I, I think what, this is something we call ACP or advanced care planning. And it's something that all of us should be doing. Um, it, and it's not just something for older people. But given that COVID-19 has a predilection for older adults as well, whether you're living in the community or whether you're living in a nursing home, this is a great opportunity that if you haven't had that uncomfortable conversation, that it's time to start doing that. And it really, it really starts with a phrase like mom and dad, what matters most to you? Um, I don't want anything bad to happen to you, but I'm hearing these reports of, of, of this attacking older people or attacking people in homes. And we haven't had the conversation. We haven't said that if you were unconscious and they did say that you might need a ventilator, would, is that something you'd want? Um, uh, if it, you know, what sort of care would you want? Would you want to be transferred from the home? Would you want to go to hospital? I need to know these things so that if we're in that situation, I know what would matter to you. Um, and it's important that no matter what age we're at, we have those conversations. 
But unfortunately, for a lot of older citizens already, um, if they didn't have those conversations with their loved ones, then it can put families in really tough situations, especially when they're when they're being asked by the docs in the emergency department or at the hospital, what 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 should we do next with mom? Uh, so this is just one of those ways where we can give people a bit more peace of mind by being prepared and planning ahead, because that way we can try and take a little bit of that stress away. Hey, I'm Tom Power. I'm the host of the podcast Q with Tom Power, where we talk to all kinds of artists, actors, writers, musicians, painters. We had Green Day on the other day talking about their huge album, American Idiot. Nicole Byer came on to talk about ADHD and comedy. And then there's Dan Levy. While we were talking about filmmaking, we talked about his insecurities. I sometimes feel like I have this desire to, like, perform, to be a version of myself that people might like. Listen to Q with Tom Power to hear your favorite artists as they truly are wherever you get your podcasts. We've been talking about protecting the physical health of seniors and in particular frail seniors, but COVID-19 is taking a huge emotional toll as well. What are some of your biggest concerns on that front? I think the the biggest emotional tolls I've seen is that um, uh, are really around older adults who are quite isolated already becoming even more isolated. Um, it's also the idea that a lot of people who are living in our nursing homes um, and even in our retirement homes are living with dementia. And I've been hearing, you know, heart-wrenching stories about family members who, because of restricted visiting policies, they're being told across the country, you can only visit if your loved one is dying. But, you know, your loved one might only respond to you for their bathing needs or only respond to you when it's mealtime. Um, and there are a lot of devoted caregivers out there who've been going into a home three times a day to feed their loved one or to help bathe or provide some of that care. And now they're being told, sorry, but to protect everybody, including your loved one, we're not allowing you to visit. So the emotional toll cuts both ways to those individuals where that social contact um, is been so vital to them, um, but also to, to families and caregivers who really want to be providing that support and are now being told you can do it via Skype or you can do it through a window. Um, And it's tough because I wrestle with this. I say, how do you not declare that loved one coming in to, you know, provide that care? How do we not deem that essential? Um, And none of these decisions are easy. uh, But the question is, how do we try and find creative ways for people to stay in touch with each other, people to support each other? Because this takes a toll on the mental health of not only the older adults themselves, but also in many times their families and caregivers as well. Do you have any other ideas of how we can help make it easier to bridge that emotional gap between uh, between family members, loved ones, and and the people who are residing in long term care facilities? You know, really, it's it's trying to find creative solutions. Is that to remind ourselves that um, many older adults are isolated already? That we have one in four Canadians who are older adults tell us that they don't have a family member or friend close at hand to help them with the basic tasks like getting a prescription filled. And so while person, you know, in-person contact is usually the most soothing, you know, from a personal standpoint, what we do recommend is, you know, calling mom every day, um, figuring out finally how to use FaceTime, 
these are things that are really important. I, I had a, a son call me the other day um, and he said it really is heart wrenching for him because he can't go visit his mom as he does every day in the retirement home. He said, I'm calling her on the phone. And so uh, we were emailing and I said, well, why don't you FaceTime her? Um, and he said, I don't know how to use FaceTime. So luckily uh, I said, well, you know, this is why you have children <laughs> contact them and they'll teach you. Um, and it was so lovely because the next day he emailed me because his mom has dementia and he was, he worried that FaceTime wouldn't work. And he said, you know what, Dr. Sinna, I tried FaceTime and, and it actually worked and she kind of liked it. She just said, I haven't seen your face in a while. And so it's those little things that remind us that this doesn't sound like a lot, but it can be huge for family members, but also the loved ones that are being isolated from us for their protections. So don't stop thinking about creative ways in which you can meet through loved ones. Think about um, think about your loved ones. Think about the older people in your lives, um, especially if there might be an older person who's been, now been told to self-isolate and they're just down the street from you. There's great ways in which you can just leave a note, you know, with them outside their door, just letting them know that you're a neighbor who knows about them. Um, and then if they need you to get something, give them your number, um, go grab them some groceries, do those things. Because even knowing that there are people out there who love you and are looking out for you can be incredibly emotionally gratifying, not only for those older adults, but also for us as well. It, it helps us being able to do something at least uh, when many of us feel a bit helpless at the moment. You know, Samir, this really hit home for me the last shift I did in the emergency department uh, where I saw an older patient um, with with dementia uh, but uh, still functioning at home with some supports. And uh, this person has no living relatives and uh, has maybe one or two people who are looking in. And, and it makes me wonder what we can do as a community. You've started to talk about some of the things that people might do for their neighbors, but, but you know, what can we as a community do to, to increase communication with people who perhaps don't have people looking in on them, asking how they are? Yeah. And it's, it's, I think this is kind of what we, we call, you know, collateral damage, right? Is that, you know, that a lot of the policies or the ideas that we're putting in place to protect people by saying to people that if you're 70 and older and you're a Canadian, please don't leave your house now, self-isolate. You know, if you, you know, to protect people in nursing and retirement homes across the country, we're asking people not to visit unless their their family members are dying. We're even restricting visitors in hospital. And, and I think this is the challenge is that all these things have good intentions behind them. But there are costs with each of these things. Um, and I don't have an easy answer, and I don't think you do either. But it's the idea that if you do know of a neighbor who's quite isolated and they're older, for example, you know, someone created a little movement in England uh, where they actually created a little little postcard. And it just has simple things like saying who you are, give them your number, and just say, if you need help with anything, like getting groceries, doing this, getting this, I'm your neighbor who lives just down the street a few doors down, and here's my number, give me a call. And you wouldn't believe how much that can break down a barrier. But you're right, Brian, there are people out there who are living with dementia, who are becoming isolated, and don't even know what's going on, um, and, and aren't sure what's going on and what the big fuss is. And they're getting more distressed because the, the folks in their lives are trying to stay away from them. Um, and they don't remember they're trying to stay away from them to protect them. And so we're seeing a lot of unintended consequences happen. And I'm going to be curious to see where we stand as a society at the end of this uh, in terms of we'll know how many people have died of COVID. 
but we won't know how many other lives were adversely affected because of us trying to do the right things and the best things by people as well. As you alluded to earlier, we already knew that many seniors are dealing with loneliness and isolation on a daily basis. It's unfortunate that it's taken a pandemic to shine a light on seniors. If there's any glimmer of hope here, do you see opportunities for us to learn from this and do more for seniors, not just during this crisis, but also after things return to some degree of normal? I do. I mean, I think really it, it was it was kind of interesting. I saw something uh, on social media where someone was saying, um, if you're feeling how bad, you know, being socially isolated yourself feels like. Imagine how it feels like for a quarter of older Canadians, for example, as well. So really for a lot of people um, who've been thrust into social isolation, you now realize how being isolated can actually trigger, you know, feelings of depression, feelings of loneliness and things that actually are what we call the equivalent of smoking 10 cigarettes a day. But what what has been great is see a lot of grassroots movements pop up all across the country. Um, there are mechanisms um, using um, using standard lines like 211 that exists in many provinces um, to connect volunteers to isolated seniors to do things like phone calls and that. And I think people are actually realizing it's actually quite fun to, you know, to pitch in and help out and and to, to and how gratifying it is. And I hope that that's the one great thing that lingers on after all of this settles down. Grassroots movements are great, but you've been calling for a national senior strategy for some time. So what are the key things we need to do for our seniors in Canada that could not only improve their lives physically, emotionally, socially, financially, uh, but also make them more resilient to emergencies like the one we're dealing with now? No, it's a great question. And I think that one thing that we've been focusing on around our work on the National Senior Strategy is around just this issue of social isolation, at how one in four older Canadians tell us they don't have that family member or friend close at hand to get them a prescription or, or, or to get some groceries, for example. So knowing that this is a huge issue um, and there's an epidemic of loneliness about that by investing more in programs that connect seniors to their communities, programs that help people to move around their communities, especially when many people retire from driving 10 years before um, they tend to die. These are things that we now realize are more important. And so I, I hope that recognizing the issue of social isolation, uh, recognizing the limitations and the challenges that we have around providing care in our care homes, highlights some of the unique issues for seniors that we need to be better focused on. And I think, you know, having just talked to our, our federal minister for seniors just the other day and, and our provincial ministers as well, um, it's been amazing to hear how much they've been advocating around the issue of social isolation um, and ironically how this has gotten some of the biggest spends of money uh, around the use of pandemic dollars to deal with this issue, to fund grassroots movements, um, to do creative things that frankly, if it wasn't for a pandemic, we wouldn't have movement around. So. I do think we've actually had some progress. My goal after all of this settles down is that we don't forget what we learned um, and we don't forget about these opportunities uh, because some of this funding to prevent social isolation or deal with social isolation that has come from a pandemic, I do hope that it'll continue um, here on in as well. Samir, uh, I've enjoyed our conversation, but I want to end on a personal note. In addition to all the seniors you care for in your practice, um, how are you coping with this personally? I know you have older folks in your life as well. No, thanks for asking, Brian. 
um, it's tough. Um, I'm getting emotional because I think about my parents. They're healthy, but I worry about them. I care. I think about my colleagues um, um, and we're getting better. And, and you just demonstrated that by asking me how I'm doing and asking you how you're doing, because it's important to talk about it. But um, I, um, I'm concerned about people living in nursing and retirement homes right now. I'm, I'm concerned about there being enough PPE. I'm concerned about there being enough staff. And uh, I'm just hoping that I can take actions. And believe me, I've been very active behind the scenes, advocating with our governments and trying to provide advice to our ministers, because I really feel this is a time where we need to do everything we can, because we're talking about people's lives here. We're talking about people who... Um, Sometimes people making decisions don't know what it's like to be living in a nursing home or working in a nursing home, don't know what these people look like, but I do, you do. And I feel that uh, when I don't advocate, if I don't get my voice out there and if I don't do things like this with you, that uh, that could cost lives. And I would not be able to sleep well at night knowing that. Well, Samir, uh, my, my mother-in-law will be 86 years young in a week, and I'm reminded that uh, job one on my list, she's been bugging me for the last few days, is to get her set up on Zoom. So that that I intend to do. That's awesome. No, and, and again, these are all things that, uh, it, this reminds us that uh, it's a good time to look out for each other and, and, uh, and ourselves as well. We're all in this together. Um, thank you so much, Samir Sena. I've enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you very much, Brian. That's Dr. Samir Sinha, Director of Geriatrics at Sinai Health and at University Health Network in Toronto. Here's your dose of smart advice. Older people are more likely to get severely ill with coronavirus, which makes physical distancing an important way to limit their risk. For now, we need to eliminate all but medically necessary visits. The people who provide care must receive training in infection control and use personal protective equipment. Unfortunately, as we've already seen, some seniors will die of COVID-19. Now is a good time to ask loved ones who live in care homes what they'd want should they require a ventilator in order to survive and to make certain their wishes are put down on paper in the form of advanced directives. Physical distancing also means that loved ones are being kept away from those living in long-term care. We know that loneliness is a major health risk in seniors. But phone calls and virtual visits make it possible to stay in close contact with the ones we love. We know you have many more questions about COVID-19 and other things. Let us know what they are and we'll do our best to get you some answers. Email us at thedose at cbc.ca. You can tweet me at NightShiftMD or the show at CBC White Coat. Remember to use the hashtag thedosecbc. And for more on seniors and COVID-19, tune in to White Coat Black Art this weekend. We'll hear from seniors themselves about what it's like to be a resident in long-term care as the coronavirus takes its toll. You can find The Dose and White Coat Blackheart wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Dose was produced by Nicole Ireland, Donna Dingwall, and me with digital support from Fabiola Carletti. Big thanks to Austin Pomeroy for his technical assistance. Thanks as well to Arif Nirani, Executive Director of CBC Podcasts, Leslie Merklinger, Head of Audio Innovation at CBC, and Alison Broddle, Managing Editor at CBC Radio. Dose wants you to be better informed about your health, but if you're looking for medical advice, see your healthcare provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.